Coming up on the Cody Willard Show, is China a friend, a foe, or something else altogether? Then some good news, including why all you need is love. Plus, Cody talks stocks. The Cody Willard Show is brought to you by TradingWithCody.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Cody Willard Show. I am indeed Cody Willard, eponymously so, eponymously so, hippopotamously so. Uh, This is where we try to be objective. We strive to be objective and not just uh, give you some sort of pretend... unslanted news because I might be a little slanted, but I'm not slanted left or right in the way that any other news organization is framing the issues these days. I've got Chris McHugh, my partner in crime, co-executive producer. I never know which way to point when I pull him up and he pulls himself up. And very often, Cody, I only watch Fox News Channel, so you help me get the other side of the story because without you, I would just have uh, Sean Hannity talking points in my head, and that's it. So, well, there is a lot of uh, people in in your boat. Millions of people watching Fox News or CNN or vice versa, MSNBC as their exclusive source for news and w- what topics are chosen to be reported upon, and how they're framed. Chris, let's jump into some of this news, real fake, fake news, real news. That's right. Does two wrongs, does two fakes make a real? It sure does. And as a matter of fact, Trump, his economic advisors, and much of his focus has been on China. With new tariffs, endless talking about technology, intellectual property theft, and its role in North Korea. Is China a friend or foe or something else altogether? It's a mystery, Cody. (laughs) Let's see if we can't unravel this onion of a mystery. Um, look, I, the long story short, to answer your question, I w- would think that China is mostly foe, not friend. You've got to remember, as mixed as our economy is, as corrupt as a Republican-Democrat regime and the whole system, partisanship and the control of the voter voting electorate, and the whole paradigm of elections and government rule here in the United States, China is communist, and it is now a dictatorial, hippopotamusly referenced earlier. But yeah, it's a it's basically a dictatorship now, and it's communist. And I've you know for fifteen years. 20 years that I've been analyzing stocks and seeing technology companies from Corning to um, Apple go over and open factories or partnerships in China. And I've often asked, what happens if at one point the Chinese government just says, hey, we're nationalizing everything in our country? Every factory, you might think you've got 50% ownership in it, U.S. company, Apple, Corning, anyone. I mean, you know, every, every major manufacturing company has either supplies coming from China or is actually in China itself 
with their factories and supply chain. And that stuff can be nationalized. Have we never, are we not, we've got to remember the lessons of history. And we've seen in times of crisis, in economic crises, countries will go to extremes and they will nationalize assets. We've seen that in decades past. You see it even in Venezuela in the last 10 years. That stuff does happen. And in a communist dictatorship, I've often wondered what happens if one day we wake up and they do nationalize a bunch of the assets in the factories. And so I will say China, a trading friend, but a trade foe. <laughs> and then Cody, what do you think uh, about this video that you had sent me that we're going to roll here about the factory situation, and whatnot? And we live in a leisure society and we like to talk a good game about conditions and factory conditions and i wouldn't buy that if you know somebody was toiling for 12 hours a day and you know they have factories where they have suicide watch and special netting because the, the people are living in dorms away from their families what did the video that we're going to show here what did your gut say what was your initial reaction to it well you know look life is hard everywhere including in the United States. There are people in the inner city, people in rural America, people everywhere um, in this country and in countries all over that toil, that suffer. I, I, you know, working to uh, minimum or close to minimum wage jobs in this country at fast food places is, uh, you know, trying to feed your kids and support a family and without health care and these things are real here and this underscores that it's i mean the world is a hard place it's hard in china it is hard here people toil everywhere and we can continue to make the world a better place we've got to talk about these things there is the entire paradigm of ownership class versus labor is still very real today labor has lost so much power workforce has lost so much um, wealth as a share of this global GDP and the global wealth in this world. Chris, what's your take? Well, it's so interesting as just back to this video, though, and seeing that they worked 12 hours a day, they were given one uniform, which is showing right here. And I, you know, I'm wondering, this was uh, some NYU project. And I'm wondering, was this a hit piece on Apple? And, uh, you know, even if it was, I'm thinking these, you know, you can't just blame Apple. This, these are general conditions in China and, and whatnot. And was interesting, I think the shot that they showed there is nobody really that works at this factory can even afford an iPhone. So it, it's very conflicting. You know, like I said, we do live in this leisure society and we are very spoiled. And certainly you, you were talking about cell phones and uh, not cell phones, but fast food. And, you know, that's much different than this gentleman's working conditions. You know, you're not living in a dorm. You could go into town. You can go back home. Uh, you could probably much more easily quit your job and move over from Taco Bell to McDonald's or wherever you wish. Uh, but it was, it was very sad, uh, I think. And for a company that charges so much money for their product, and you think about how much profit... And, you know, where's, where's your, can't you say well, the same thing about McDonald's? 
I mean, here in the United States, the owners of McDonald's are taking home tens of billions of dollars of profits a year. The executives are paying themselves millions upon millions, if not tens of millions of dollars individually each every year. And the you know you see re, people who should be retired you see men women ages 30 and 40 who you know have kids at home who are working these minimum wage jobs it's not like i have an easy answer to any of this either it's not like i think we should just raise minimum wage or somehow you know economies happen but what we do and what we can do what what we can do together chris and what the Cody Willard show, frankly, I hope, in addition to striving to be objective, it wants to shine a light on things that just need to be discussed. We need to continue to, whether that's a hit piece on Apple or not, there are people in China who need our help. There are people in our community who need our help. Let's continue to talk about them, shine a light on them, not beg the government to help them more. Let's you and I individually figure out ways to do it. That, that's the key. And that's what I was going to get up because I keep repeating this a lot and did all through the weekend and that, uh, you know, we're walking around my neighborhood here and, you know, in 1952, you know, this was post-World War II neighborhood. People had little capes. You had four rooms, you had tiny little closets, not a lot of extra clothes. And then I'm walking with my father-in-law and we're seeing all these ginormous houses, which are way bigger than you need uh, cars that, are way more expensive than what you require. They're status symbol cars. And I was speaking with my father-in-law because my, my take always is if you were, you grew up quote unquote poor or middle, middle class, I think it's a lot easier for you to have that cutoff valve or, you know, where you say, you know what, maybe I don't need that $80,000 luxury car. Maybe I'll just get that Cadillac. And Hey, how about I put that money into my community or, or donate it to charity? I don't know, man. You see Allen Iverson's or a, a great example of that is not necessarily universally true. And who are we to judge? You know, I mean, I, 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 my house is bigger than it should be. But, you know, any house that has individual rooms is bigger than the, I always, you know, I just in my own personal life and experiences. I lived in Harlem, not just in Harlem outright, but Harlem proper, but 101st in Amsterdam and surrounded by projects and my building um you know it it was a not a luxury place let's put it that way and next door to me um on my on the 11th floor in this little not squalid but it wasn't exactly a luxurious place and um but th there was a haitian family that uh eight people in a one bedroom apartment in new york city making a go of it and um happy kids great family. I'm in touch with them and love them to this day. And that's, I, who am I to, like, I, you know, maybe I, I can look at people that have helicopters and boats and, and, you know, six mansion vacation homes, but those people in thing. Harlem can look at me and say the same damn thing. Yeah. And wealth. anybody who's wealthy knows that wealth doesn't make you happy. And if you're happy, you're happy. If you're living in a studio apartment with four kids and you're happy, then you're happy. For those that are unhappy doing that, my question always is, why do people continue who can squirrel away a little bit of money to go apply for that job 
say, the next state over where it's a more rural area and they could have better quality of life, but they're away from family and whatnot. My question is, why do we all want to live on top of each other in these inner cities and have a poor quality life? And when you live in that city for such a long time, you forget that there's a world around you and maybe your quality of life could be better. But it's always hard for me driving through uh new york city or whatnot and seeing people on top of people and the political system that drives them to do so and emotional system you know people are accountable for their own actions in many ways too it's certainly um everyone is a victim and or um beneficiary of circumstance but uh like you just said you know you can choose i lived in new york I lived in rural New Mexico for the first 24 years of 23 years of my life. I lived in New York City on top of people and underneath people for uh, mostly underneath. It's a long way out at the bottom of that totem pole when I was serving coffee at Starbucks. Um, the, but anyway, I chose to leave. I've chosen to do both. I, you can always choose to reinvent yourself. Madonna's always been a, uh, an inspiration to me in that case. Uh, Chris, let's hit next. Uh, let's. Speaking of, like, I, I sort of like the theme of today's talk. You know, show we got a different vibe here going, and we're doing some debate, even discussion and whatnot. Let's talk. I've got something that I know you're about to reveal. Let me just jump to the gun if I can. I put this on my Twitter feed, and it is. It's a feel-good thing, guys. I, I don't. I'm always, you know, when we talk politics and things, and I'm mad at Obama, and I'm mad at Trump, and I'm mad at Bush and Clinton and everybody, right? But Step back. What a beautiful world we live in. How tragic it is that there is a homeless man on a subway who is hungry and shirtless. But how beautiful that on an individual basis, an individual person from one race to another race, forget the race. Why do we even talk race? Let the race go. This beautiful man sitting there reaching out to another beautiful man and not just giving him the literal shirt off his back, but helping him put it on. Moving on. Nobody's, nobody's there giving that guy who gave that shirt a high five or applause. It's, it's been beautiful. And, and we can be that. We can individually do that. I, I always tell people, you know, yes, giving to Red Cross and charities are great, but it, you know, when a hurricane hit in, um, uh, in New York a few years ago, which one was it? Um, I actually gave my, booked some rooms for some friends who were displaced. They their room, their house flooded. And so, you know, you could call the Red Cross, but you can also individually impact lives probably much bigger like that man just did there on the subway. Chris, what were you going to say there? I think that's so important. And, you know, I talked to somebody who lived in New York City around there, and he lived in, um, uh, you know, Bali, India, and he lived in London. And I complain about the facade and how unfriendly New Yorkers can be a lot when I lived in that area. And he said, you know, it's this big city thing. It's just the way that you have to operate in there. And I understand that. But it's so nice to see somebody in the city operating with all the heart that a human being should have. And it is rare. And I remember walking uh, probably across, I was going to cross 6th Street uh, when I was working in Manhattan. And there was this 
woman who was trying to get people's attention, this this older woman, and everybody's just kind of, you know, moving away from her because they thought maybe she was going to beg or something. And then I, I got closer, and uh, I just realized she needed help crossing the street. And for me, that was just it was just such a wonderful, fulfilling, glorious moment. And uh, we almost died. She was so slow. We almost died and got run over because the light changed. I couldn't even get her across in time. But it's those little things that you're talking about that really make a difference. Uh, and this weekend, we traveled via boat, via ferry from Connecticut to New York in this town called Port Jefferson. And it, it was much more New York-y, like we were saying before the show. And there wasn't as much talking to strangers and things like that, but there were very kind moments, especially with the kids at the playground and things like that. And Chris, I, I just think individually we have to remember. You're hitting that uh, uh, an important note that I've forgotten this. I used to talk about this all the time. When I first moved to New York from New Mexico and I didn't know soul, I showed up, uh, stayed at the sister's apartment of a friend, um, actually up there near where I ended up living about five she lived at 96th. I ended up living there on 101st in Amsterdam. Um, but from her kindness to opening her doors to a friend of her brother's who was a stranger, uh, to uh, the place where I went to buy uh, some furniture when I rented that one room, tiny little apartment, and the, I don't know, the immigrant man who ran the place, the end of it said, I told him I, I, when I I'd bought a dresser and when I was walking out, I'd said, how much is that mat, that bed frame? And he was like, it's $150. And I had moved to New York with a few thousand bucks in my pocket and didn't, you know, didn't have $150 extra. And um, I just said, ah, shoot. And when they delivered the mat, the dresser, the frame was in it, in there too. And he said, look, someday when you've made it, you come pay me back. Uh, when, I call, when I called and asked, why was the frame in there? I couldn't afford it. He said, no, man, it's on me until someday you, go, you come pay me back. And I did. I did. Uh, when I got my first big paycheck on Wall Street, I, it was actually when I got my first paycheck on Wall Street, a small one, I went and paid him the $150 back. A, 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 a man down at the bottom of the apartment building, not again, a uh, a retired, struggling guy uh, living in a rent-controlled apartment gave me a, a boombox because I didn't. He saw me carry nothing into that apartment, and he knew I didn't have a TV. He asked me, he said, "You don't have a TV or nothing?" And I have a terrible accent; I can never imitate other accents. Maybe we shouldn't anyway. I always get accused of uh, whatever. Anyway, point being, the guy gave me. It lent me his boombox, and I would listen to the radio and listen to Monday, Sunday night football, Monday night football, and uh, uh, for the first several months I lived there, and that was uh, my in apartment entertainment. Generosity from just strangers in New York. It's a beautiful, friendly city. Who knew? No matter where you turn, the news is slanted left or right. That's why people are watching the Cody Willard Show. How can we create nonpartisan news using technology? He's an independent free thinker. Pretend that poor people are on welfare when it's the rich people and the giant corporations that are using welfare. Whether it's investing or politics, he's trying to be objective. The Cody Willard Show. Watch the show online and download the podcast. Corey Turner in the house. This is Corey Turner, and welcome to Corey Turner's Amazingly Bad 
movie reviews. 1964's science fiction horror movie, The Creeping Terror, does something that most horror movies are never able to do, live up to their title. Using actual rocket footage, but played in reverse, an alien lands on Earth and starts a rampage of death and destruction that seems to find every couple making out in the entire county. No one is safe from this alien who has a taste for human flesh. No one runs, they just sit there and scream like, ah, as it slowly comes and eats them. I mean, they could just like slowly saunder away. Complete with a creature costume that has you too busy trying to figure out what it is to be scared, the creeping terror just gives you the creeps. Everybody hates Twitter. You know, the, the Trump says uh, social media is kicking off conservatives. Cons liberals have long thought that uh, Twitter is way too liberal in, in not kicking off conservatives. Maybe, you know, look, Twitter certainly has an obligation to help the world not have hate spewing everywhere. It has an obligation to try to make it a good network and that there's usefulness in it. That's also because it needs, wants to be a capitalist, profitable company. All of that stuff feeds upon itself. There is no easy answer. Jack Dorsey can't ha hire a million people to monitor every video that's ever been uploaded and every comment that's being posted back and forth on Twitter. But you guys, self-police. People are good. You are good. You see something bad or bad, you know, relative, but you see something outright calling for violence. You see something, you know, that stuff that Alex Jones was doing was not okay. And that's why he got banned from Twitter for a week. He did something recently that was reported and Twitter took action. Chris, point number two, everybody loves Apple. Last week I did a, uh, might've been two weeks ago, I did a victory lap because I had predicted that Apple would be the first trillion dollar company eight years ago when it was worth $150 billion. And here it's worth a, a trillion today. And, it's up even more since then, like another five or 10%. And it's, there was a bear. There was a, when I was driving back, uh, I had to run an errand this morning. I was coming in the office. I was listening to CNBC on Sirius and they were in there debating Apple and the bear was being mocked. Everybody was sure the bear is wrong. And, and they were like disdainful to him. Like, how dare you have never, had a buy rating on Apple. It's so obvious that it's going up and it has been obvious that it was going to go up. And, boys, that might be the time to, like I said, you know, when everybody's celebrating a trillion dollar company and everybody's mean, outright mocking to the poor bear. Well, yeah, I mean, the bear should have known better, but still, that's probably a good time to trim a little. I might personally trim a little Apple. Expect a trade alert you trading with Cody subscribers. Point number three. Roll it for me, Chris. Everybody should hate syrup. Look, you love Apple, you hate Twitter, whatever, man. But I do have something you actually should hate. Syrup. 
Pepsi bought SodaStream today for $3.2 billion. And the Wall Street Journal's headline is, it's in a bid, it's Pepsi did so in a bid to get more active in the health drink industry. SodaStream is not healthy. And speaking of which, I was at the grocery store the other day and I was checking out, I love coconut water. So I was like, oh, let me grab one of those big old coconut waters, like 450 or something like that. Once I got back to the office, I'm sipping on this thing. I didn't do that, but I'm like, that tastes a little artificial. It says on here, USDA organic, non-GMO, boy, must be, oh, wait a minute. From concentrate? What? Organic coconut water from concentrate, comma, natural flavors. Yeah, the Republican Democrat regime got lobbied to the point where you can just put natural flavors when it is in fact a bunch of chemicals. And I guess syrup, coconut syrup in water reconstituted and sold with chemicals in it is considered USDA organic. Hate syrup, man. Come on, government, get that syrup out of here. If you're gonna call it, if it is syrup, don't say it's non-GMO and organic. That hey, little right from concentrate. All right, everybody, that's another edition of the Cody Willard Show. Thanks so much to my gargling sounding executive producer, Chris McHugh. Chris, let's hear your voice to, to check us out. Oh, gargle, gargle, gargle. <laughs> Sure, now it works. Yeah, now. Thanks, everybody. That's a wrap. Peace, love, and happiness.